Okay. Um, in this next session, my topic is teaching English and language arts. Um, language arts is kind of the comprehensive term. And of course, English is the one we're studying. When I went to school, it was just called English. And then we had spelling, and we had vocabulary, and some were kind of supplemental books or whatever. In more recent years, it's just been called language arts, and encompasses most of those subjects. So language arts, what is it? Well, first of all, it would be the basics of speaking and then reading and writing. Uh, they're your native language, and that's for us is English. And there's others that would fall under this category, reading, reading comprehension, vocabulary, spelling, proper grammar, in speaking and writing, public speaking skills, and then especially in, in uh, more of the upper levels of maybe grade school, you could even go to learning other languages. We're not going to focus a lot on that, but primarily on some of these basic things. Now, I think when I went to school, this was one of my least favorite subjects. And, <clears throat> well, to, to a certain extent anyway, the parts of it. One, one thing I really enjoyed was, was vocabulary. I always wanted to increase my vocabulary and learn new words and what words meant and I always found it a challenge to try and match up the definitions with the word and that kind of thing. So I really enjoyed that. What I did not enjoy was diagramming sentences and you need to have verbs and nouns and then you put a line underneath, you know, you make your little framework and you put your prepositional phrase down here and and your predicate adjectives and your adverbs and and we had to do it seemed to me you know diagram these 12 sentences and then for extra practice you had another 10 that you were supposed to do in pages well i think that curriculum may be overemphasized to a little degree at least some of you know that by experience too, but in reality, language arts is more than just diagramming sentences. So that probably wasn't all bad. Uh, but I seldom found a use for diagramming sentences since grade school. <laughs> Although learning the parts of speech was what it was intended to do. That is helpful. Spelling I, is still a weakness to this day. I find spelling personally difficult. 
I don't expect to ever win a spelling bee. And I, I just, it helps if I write out a word several times and try to select the one that looks best <laughs> or most familiar. And now with the modern technology, when you type out a document, you know, it auto-spell checks. And that's, that's kind of a cheap mechanism, but I've found it helpful. However, it has not sharpened my, my spelling skills at all. Yeah, and I don't think it will yours either. So some of these modern conveniences actually dumb us down. Probably one of the worst is texting and all the shortcuts and shorthands and emojis to the point where we're losing some of the sharp edge of our English language. <laughs> so, so this being one of my less favorite subjects, I must say on the whole I probably didn't find it real difficult uh, in school, but I, I did enjoy reading. I love to read, and I still do to this day. And I think that is, is one of the most fundamental things of an education. In fact, if you just consider when a society wants to take uh, an accounting of how well the people are educated, they call it literacy, meaning how well can you read and write. Those are the basics. If you can read and write, you have a huge advantage for education. And the first and most basic um, thing of an education, if it's missing, you can't read, you are handicapped. Now we look at scripture, there's a, a verse in Revelation, in the first chapter, verse 3, it says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And Brother Clint mentioned about in the Anabaptist days, one of the earliest things, if they got converted and were not able to read, they learned. Even at advanced ages, they learned to read so that they could read the Word of God. And I'm just emphasizing that in our day, and especially in our circles, it's almost taken for granted that you'll learn to read and you'll learn at a young age. That, that'll be your first, um, first thing you learn to do in school and that's great and good. I think that's how it ought to be. But lest we lose sight of how fundamental and basic that is, I'm just lifting it up as, as a very, very important part of schooling is learning to read. In fact, when I was then a bit older and actually was teaching in a school myself, in a Christian school, that's one of the things they emphasized to us in, in talking about curriculum and how to teach and so on. They emphasized this, that 
The first thing that a child does going to school is learn to read. And from that point forward, the rest of their schooling is reading to learn. Learn to read, and then read to learn. So it's important for us to remember that, too, as being the most foundational building block of an education is learning to read. Now, our government, especially on a state level, uh, puts a lot of emphasis on education, and they have, in Iowa at least, compulsory education laws. And in one sense, that may seem like a burdensome thing in an overbearing governmental control, but really, at its basic foundation, it is good and right that people learn to read and to get a basic education because it's well understood that for a, a good and prosperous society, people need to be able to learn, uh, be able to read. And you can, you can interact, you can transact business, you can, you can um, handle life's skills and issues if you know how to read. It's difficult to give employment to people who are unable to read. Just uh, recently was talking with someone who had hired a new, this was some years ago, but he hired a young man to help him in his trade and he said, well, the first day on the job he said, I I know you don't know anything about this trade, but I'll, I'll, do the, uh, I'll do the work. I want you to just go and cut the pieces for me. You know, I'll give you the measurements and you cut the pieces. And the young man said, well, um, I, I don't know how to read a tape measure. And this man suddenly thought, oh, we, we've got big trouble here. <laughs> If you can't read a tape measure, how are you going to do any of the trades? I mean, anything that has to do with building, you're going to need to know how to read a tape measure. So he said, well, he had some short training, and he said, we got by that day. And <laughs> so do your children a favor and learn and teach them how to read a ruler and a tape measure. That's this is beyond reading here, I guess, but this is just to say that there are some fundamentals that are very, very important. And, and I, I want to make this real simple and just fix this in your mind that teaching your children how to read and how to read well is one of your basic priorities in schooling. Unfortunately, in spite of all the laws and everything, there are difficulties in actually accomplishing that in the environments that the public schools are today. And there are many going through the motions and actually go through school and are next to illiterate. Brother Clint mentioned about the difference between, was it teaching and training? 
And the thought occurred to me in our principles of homeschooling, we want to do teaching and training, but in a school and classroom setting, there's a lot of facts put in, there's a lot of teaching by the teacher, but the training is what happens when the teacher's back is turned and out on the playground. That's where they're getting their training. If you stop and think through that, it may not turn out so well. And it's one of the reasons why, even though I went to a Christian school and was spared a lot of that garbage and evil that's in the public school environments, and then I also taught school, I came to the conclusion that homeschooling is better. Principally better in its environment because of the very issues that take place on the playground and, and all the, uh, not, not the time that you're sitting there and the teacher is instructing you on how to do your math or your reading and so on, but all the things that happen around that. So just, uh, just an encouragement for the value of homeschooling. I'd like to speak just a bit on why do we need to learn to read and write and lifting our vision a bit on the importance and the great need we have today for those who are skilled in writing and reading of course is essentially for your own uh, profit and education but when you're able to write and communicate that, you can teach others also. And we certainly have a crying need for books, letters, short articles in magazines, or just simply sharing information, tracts. Think of all the tracts, thousands of tracts that are handed out. Somebody wrote them. Um, Christian literature of all sorts, um, Bible helps, and some of these things you may think, well, that's left to the scholars. Well, we need to have at least a few of those that would be able to, to teach and instruct others also. And then you go into translation work and expanding into other languages. It'll be very helpful for you to have a good grasp of the English language before you tackle a second language. Although there is something to be said about learning it in your childhood too. I learned two languages from my earliest memory. I, I just learned two languages and it was uh, helpful. Translation. English is not an easy language, as you will learn going through school. Uh, it's maybe not the most difficult language in the world, but it is one of them. In fact, if you took the two of the more difficult languages, 
you could probably communicate with about half the people on the planet. Having visited Indonesia recently where Tyler's were there teaching English uh, as a foreign language to, the, to those who live there, it's interesting that one of the most difficult things for them to grasp, at least after the elementary parts of the language and they could, you could converse with them, they found a figure of speech to be difficult. In fact, Clint used the term flying by the seat of his pants. Well, the one class that I sat in in the few weeks we were there, no, it wasn't a class, it was actually a teacher's meeting. And this whole thing about figures of speech came up, and that very one was brought up, and I had the chance to explain what flying by the seat of your pants means, because to them, what? It made no sense whatsoever. Well, once I explained to them, oh, yeah, well, yeah, okay, now they can understand. But the English language, we commonly use far more of those figures of speech than we realize. And once you try to teach another person the language, that's, that comes up. So first you begin by teaching them to read, learn to read, and the rest of your schooling you will read to learn. After giving them a foundation in reading, you build upon that foundation with a good curriculum. Now not all curriculums are the same and there's not any perfect one out there probably but get a good one and be aware that there are some curriculums especially like Clint was mentioning in his experience they were not even really developed for self-study it was more a lot of teacher input and just be aware of that and weigh carefully the amount of teacher input that's going to be required for a given curriculum. Some of them are, are much more readily designed for students to learn on their own by just going through the books. And I hope this isn't heresy to say this here today, but after they've learned to read, we have found it helpful to get a good program and then they they read to learn and there's on the day-to-day -day basis there's not a lot of direct teacher input they go through the books yes we're hoping they learn <laughs> that's the intent and certainly there's input when they have questions and hit some rough spots and can't figure it out and certainly they need help but for the most part, when especially in, in the uh, area of language arts, it's a lot of self-study. Several areas, spelling being one of them, requires teacher input when you give them the spelling words and having them 
correctly pronounced is part of the instruction as well. You may not think of that when you're giving them spelling words, but it's, it is an important part to uh, hear these words, to hear them correctly pronounced and, and maybe even given in context and meaning and so on. Um, well, let's back up a little again and, and just talk about the first program. We have found this one, Teaching Your Child to Read in a Hundred Easy Lessons. And as you can see, this book is well-worn. <laughs> We've used it for a number of our students, not, not the oldest ones. but um, And there's uh, this book, not, not written from a Christian perspective necessarily, but it does several things. One, it has a good phonetic foundation for learning to read. And I'll just say that's important for a good learning to read program. When I went to school, we used the Rod and Staff curriculum learning to read. They have a very strong phonetic foundation for their instruction, and, and that is one of the strong points for the Rod and Staff reading curriculum. This also is a bit more simple, but as also has a very strong phonetic foundation. And there's other curriculums uh, that can be used, and you might find them working well for you. Uh, but this one, it does require teacher input, pretty much on a daily basis. And you're going to find that when you're teaching them to read. You're, you're not going to get away from direct teacher input and, and a good bit of it. But this simplifies it. And in fact, we make this grade one, this book. Now, we do add a few other things, but our intent is for grade one to be learning to read. That's our focus. That's all that we essentially intend to, to accomplish in grade one. Now, they do other things like little booklets that teach them numbers and how to count and so on. And it's fine if your student is, is quick and can learn easily and, and you can add other things if they're able to handle it. But the point I'm trying to make is it is so essential for them to learn to read that if you focus on that alone in the first year and make sure they have a good foundation in reading, you will do yourself and your child a great favor. Um, don't fall for the idea that you've got to have a full program for grade one. And it has been found that Beginning too early, especially trying to really get a lot crammed in, is not necessarily that beneficial. As children develop, and this is probably true especially of boys, a little more than girls, tend to develop some of their um, 
I'm not, I'm not sure what the right term is, but studies have shown it's a little harder for them to concentrate, and there, there's some, I guess, biological reasons for all that, I'm not sure, but a child that finds it difficult and is struggling at age five and six, maybe at age seven and eight, can pick it up very readily. And they're, they're more ready for it. And you can accomplish more in a short space of time than trying to cram it in if it's too early. But again, not everybody's the same. Children develop at different rates and, and just learn to work with your children. But again, we found it helpful to just at the basics, just consider grade one is learning to read. That's, that's what grade one is. <laughs> and so after that, you begin building on that. Uh, we have found other, other things, and, and I'll just emphasize, too, that Developing a, um, an environment where everyone loves to learn is so helpful in all subjects, not just in, in English, but if you love to learn and make it interesting, they want more. But if it's, if it's boring, and of course there will be those times when it's, it's not fun and you have to sit down and you have to go through the lessons. And, but a lot of learning happens beyond just the books. And you can make that happen around your uh, dinner table and around, you know, when you sit down and you rise up. And I certainly haven't done it perfectly, uh, but we have had some very interesting uh, conversational times at the table and pop quizzes and discussions and a lot of learning happens there. <clears throat> we have, here's one aid that we got for some of our students on, um, it's titled, Many Luscious Lollipops. It is a book about adjectives. Well, it, you know, some of these things get kind of boring, you know, learning about adjectives and adverbs. Well, this puts a little spice to it, and it puts it in rhyme, and it helps. And I've asked my children, they said, oh yeah, even today yet, sometimes when we think of an adjective or adverb, we think about this, this book and the rhymes we learn. So of course, some of it is rather foolish. It's not from a Christian perspective, but many luscious lollipops. And so they have colorful pictures in this little rhyme. And adjectives, terrific, when you want to be specific. It easily identifies by number, color, or by size. Twelve large, blue, gorgeous butterflies. 
It describes all things with style and grace. And also it describes a place, mysterious, star-spangled, asteroidal, outer space. Or any special member of our precious human race, a weary, wounded, bearded, and bandaged tennis ace. An adjective describes a thought, idea, or emotion, peaceful coexistence, a universal notion. And they have the lion and the lamb, and so on. And it, well, let me read at the very end. Is it more? No, I'm sorry, let me try again. Is it most or more? or least or less? How do you relieve this alarming distress? It isn't amusing. It's very confusing. Which one of these words should you really be using? Or should you just add an er or an est? No one has yet found an infallible test. But er and est are usually best with words that have one syllable, and also two if they end in Y, after you change the Y to I. Three-syllable words and words with more use less and least and most and more, and so on. So learning can be an interesting exercise, not just a dull routine. Spice it up with a few helps, and, and we learn with rhymes. You, you probably know that. They help things stick. And that could be true in other subjects, too, but especially some of the more mundane facts of English, verbs, adverbs, and there's, a, there's another book, same author, same style, a book about adverbs, and it, again it has the rhymes and so on. Another thing that will help you in developing English is have a plentiful supply of good reading material. And this actually goes far beyond just uh, language arts, but I would like to say that it greatly helps in learning language arts when they learn to read and read a lot of, of things. Just supply good reading material. And you know there is a lot of reading material that's, that's not fit to read. It's not helpful, it's not profitable. You need to sort through it. But today we do have a great number of books that are very helpful. Good reading material. A lot of the um, Christian publications and, and publishers have a vast array of books that weren't available 30 years ago. Um, 
But beyond just those books of good reading material, and I know that um, Christian Light has a good series of readers. Um, if you don't use the, the CLE curriculum, I, I would encourage you to at least consider just buying their reading books. It will be a tremendous benefit to your library and your children, and they'll pick it up and just read the interesting stories and be learning a lot of vocabulary and words along with it. But uh, they have very good readers um, and stories that are interesting. I know when I went to school, we had pathway readers. I don't know, there's probably some of you know what I'm talking about, but pathway publishers put out readers. Well, I love to read the stories, you know, I, and they had, they had uh, copies of them in the, in the back, so I went, I would advance my grade levels several uh, grades up just because I loved the stories. And, and by the time we actually had that assigned to us for reading, I'd read all the stories already because I, I love the stories. Well, provide those kind of things for your children, things that stretch them. And reading to learn, just in general, of all sorts, give them opportunity to read about people's lives, biographies. Um, read about scientific discoveries, inventions, world history, peoples and empires, cultures in far off places of the world, geography of the world, and nature books. There's, there's a lots of them available, some with very brilliant pictures and, and yes, yeah, sort through it carefully. Try to get things from a biblical perspective, especially in the area of nature and, and science and so on. But there's far more of that available today than there was um, 30 years ago. Birds in nature, birds and beetles, mushrooms and mongoose, volcanoes and geysers, clouds and rocks, flowers and fossils, and the list goes on and on. You can find books on all of those and as they're reading, they're not only learning the facts about this science or whatever, they're also expanding their vocabulary, their reading skills, and reading comprehension. Um, I mentioned mongoose. Our English language is very confused, but who knows what the plural of mongoose is. Is it mongeese? Mongooses? Mongeeses? Is that the plural? I'm not sure. I didn't look it up. I suggest you consult your dictionary. <laughs> I mentioned geysers, volcanoes and geysers. How do you spell geysers? You know, I, I'm, um, I told you I'm not that good at spelling. Well, I tried 
I tried this. My, it didn't look right and my spell checker didn't like it. How do you spell geyser? Who wants to venture a guess? Or a, you probably know, but. Yep, that's it. Good teacher. Geysers. But those are the kind of things you can talk about around the dinner table. When you take a vacation to go see the geysers, you might actually learn how to spell the word. You know? <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't do that well on that one. But Make learning a part of your daily activities, your daily life. When you go visiting somewhere and... <clears throat> When we take a vacation, it usually has some educational component to it because we want to go somewhere and see something. We want to tour a museum or we want to see a park, be it nature or be it some history uh, or something. And it's because we love to do it. We, stay away from an amusement park. There's very little value in an amusement park, but when you go traveling and visiting and it is, and, and this is not just, I'm kind of straying from my subject here, but just emphasizing how you integrate your learning experiences with life. You don't separate the two, and that's one of the beauties of homeschooling. You can use the dinner table to talk about math. You can use it to talk about English or social studies or science. And, and you can make it interesting. And it's, it's part of the learning process. Learn to know the difference between Indiana, India, and Indonesia and how to find them.